Well, as we continue our study of the book of Colossians today, I want to draw your attention not only to the book of Colossians, but to uh, specifically what the Apostle Paul has had to say about false teaching and about error. And uh, he had to battle that in the church at Colossae, and uh, nothing's really changed. Uh, Satan, from the beginning, has led people astray by adding to or altering what God has said. If you look at Genesis chapter 3, what was Satan's question to Adam and Eve? Has God really said, you shall not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? He's always there to cast doubt upon what God has said or to add to it. Because he added to what God said in that passage as well. Jesus warned people in Matthew 7.15 uh, about false teachers, about false prophets. He said, in the last days, false prophets will come, and they'll lead many astray, and they'll be wolves in sheep's clothing. In the Apostle Paul's day, there was false teaching that seemed to follow him everywhere he went. He would go, and a church would be established as he preached the gospel. And uh, not too long afterwards, and the false teachers would follow along and say, well, Jesus is good, and faith in Jesus is good, but you also need to add this and this and this to Jesus in order to really uh, be a child of God. There was the legalism of the Judaizers, and then there was also the teaching of uh, the early Gnostics in terms of adding to what God has said and having uh, some kind of private uh, experience which would give you greater knowledge and true knowledge of God. Today we're told by popular Bible teachers in our day that faith in Christ alone and fellowship with him is insufficient. You must also do this or do that. And we know in Scripture, James says that with faith without deeds is dead faith. We also know that religious, doing just religious things to make you acceptable to God is to deny the value of Jesus' sacrifice for you on the cross. Teachers say today that you must have this experience or that experience to be a complete Christian. If you haven't had this experience or that experience, then you really haven't arrived. You don't have a full Christian experience. We will see today that Paul said in Colossians 2.10, you are already complete in Christ. So today as we look at Colossians chapter 2, we want to look together uh, at something Thomas Jefferson said many years ago. He said that eternal vigilance is the price of liberty. In other words, as a nation, if we are going to have liberty, uh, we must be people who are vigilant. We don't become complacent. We don't just let whatever happen. We, we do the right thing. And as a nation, we stand for what is right. In Colossians chapter 2, verses 4 through 10, uh, would you read this with me, please? Paul writes to the believers, and he says this, I tell you this 
so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. For though I am absent from you in body, I am present with you in spirit and delight to see how orderly you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the basic principles of this world rather than on Christ. For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form, and you have been given fullness in Christ, who is the head over every power and authority. What does he tell us? Don't be deceived, or literally don't be a spiritual tumbleweed. Um, and he says that in verse 4. I was also reminded of Ephesians chapter 4, verse 14. It talks about the importance of pastors and teachers and evangelists who build God's people up. And he says in verse 14, he says, Then you will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will, all, we will in all things grow up into him who is ahead, that is Christ. Don't be deceived. Don't be a spiritual tumbleweed. Uh, my first uh, pastorate was in Othello, Washington. If there are two things that are true about Othello, three things that are true about Othello. The wind usually blows with a great deal of gusto, and it generally blows two things. One, dust. Two, tumbleweeds. I've driven down the roads of Othello and almost were afraid that the tumbleweed was going to hit my car and knock my car off the road. It was that big. I knew a farmer during my three years at Othello, and most of the guys in the church were farmers, who uh, just for fun of it one day uh, took a spray can of pink paint and he sprayed a tumbleweed and painted it pink. And then what he did was he kept track of which side of his farm or field the tumbleweed was on. And one day, if the tumbleweed would be over here against this fence, and the next day it would be over here against this fence. The next day it would be back over here against this fence, or maybe be there for two or three days, depending on which direction the wind was blowing from. And then it would change, and it would be over here against this fence. And he could kind of figure that out just by watching wherever the pink tumbleweed was. They didn't have a whole lot to do <laughs> but sit around and chart pink tumbleweeds. But what happened was, eventually, the tumbleweed wasn't there anymore. It had been blown clear over the fence into the neighbor's fields. And that's kind of the picture that we have here in Ephesians 4. Don't be blown back and forth by every wind of doctrine that comes along. 
There are going to be things that people teach or try to teach that are going to blow you from here to there. There's going to be the latest book that has been written that's revealing something new. And, you know, you get people who just are going to read the latest book and they're going to get all excited and hepped up about this latest idea. A year later, it'll be something else. A year later, it'll be something else. A year later, it'll be something else. And these something else's eventually become substitutes for Jesus Christ himself. And that's what the Apostle Paul is warning the Colossians about. Don't be deceived. He says specifically, don't be deceived by fine-sounding arguments, or some translations say persuasive arguments. Sometimes things really sound good because they sound a little bit different. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 4 and 5, Paul talks about his, his ministry among the Corinthians, and he says, My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on men's wisdom, but on God's power. Paul tells them, don't be deceived by fine-sounding arguments or persuasive arguments. And he also said this, you're doing well, keep it up. He says, I delight to see how orderly you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. The word orderly there from the New Testament is a military term. It has to do with ranks, soldiers. And these people, as they approached their faith in Christ, were orderly about it. And they had become firm in their faith. And keep in mind, this was a church at Colossae where Paul had never visited. They didn't become believers in Christ because Paul had visited there and preached the gospel. They became believers in Christ because people like Philemon and Epaphras went there, went back home from Ephesus where they heard the gospel from Paul, carried the gospel back to Colossae, and they're told, they're the people in their oikos, if you will, about Christ, and people believed. And a church was established, and the church had grown, and the people had become established in their faith. And yet, here come the false teachers. Don't be deceived. Don't be a spiritual tumbleweed. And then he says, do continue to live by faith. Do continue to live by faith. He says, you accepted Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him. Continue to live in him. As uh, Robin preached when I was gone on vacation in chapter 1, verses 15 through 20, Jesus is Lord over what? Everything. And you can trust him to do what he promised to do. And Paul says, continue to live in him. How do you do that? Well, be rooted and be built up in him. I was reminded of John 15. Jesus said, I'm the vine, you're the what? Branches. How are you going to become a productive Christian? By abiding in the vine, by being connected to Jesus Christ. You're not going to grow in your faith unless you're connected to him. And you will eventually be blown about and blown here and there by new stuff, which sounds good, but
which, which does not agree with what God has already revealed. So be rooted and built up in him and be strengthened in the faith as you were taught. That means truth given by God. It means scripture. Paul didn't go into some place and make up new doctrines. He didn't go into some place and preach a new gospel. He went into a strange town, and there he explained to them how Jesus was a fulfillment of the Old Testament scriptures and how he had come to die as a, as a sacrifice for the sins of the world. And that by faith in him and his sacrifice for them, they could have a personal, ongoing, dynamic relationship with the living God. Then be overflowing with thankfulness. As I thought about that this week, the result of being rooted and built up in him and being strengthened in the faith is that we have the quality of overflowing thankfulness in our lives. I can tell you a Christian who is growing in their faith. I can tell a Christian who is rooted and built up in him because they overflow with thankfulness. See, the real key is not how much you know. It's how thankful are you for what you know? Is Thanksgiving a, a, a once-a-year thing that you kind of wedge in between football games, or do you daily live a thankful life before the Lord? Um, what have you thanked God for today so far? One of the problems we have, folks, I'm going to be honest with you here for a minute, is we all just move too fast. And we all try to do too much. And we become so preoccupied with life and doing things that we need to do that we don't take the time to reflect on the goodness of God. We don't take the time to be thankful people. And the result is we are poorer for it spiritually. I would encourage you to slow down, take a deep breath. Maybe for you it's first thing in the morning. Maybe for you it's the last thing before you drop off to sleep. Just take time to thank God for his goodness to you. And we're going to talk more about that next week. Three, don't be deceived. Two, do continue to live by faith. And three, don't be taken captive. Don't be taken captive. How were these people being taken captive? Well, potentially through hollow and deceptive philosophy. The false teaching was deceptive because it changes the revealed truth about Jesus. How much truth do you have to change about Jesus Christ in order for it to be error? One little thing. One little thing. It was deceptive because it changes the revealed truth about Jesus. It was also deceptive because it is based on human principles of this world rather than on Christ. It's based on human reasoning. There's also evidence from the text that Paul may have been referring to some of the ideas about angels that some of the false teachers were teaching. Speaking of angels, 
When I pastored in Boise, Idaho, I was here in 1975-76 as, as part of the staff of this church. And uh, I went from there to Boise, Idaho to plant a church. And we started in a school, and God blessed, and people came to Christ, and the church grew. But there was a very large church in town, and I won't go into what denomination it was. But the pastor began to make it known that he was having visitations by angels. And these angels were appearing to him and giving him new revelations. Because the Bible and its revelation was not sufficient. And he felt like his people needed more than what God had already revealed. The problem was that some of the things that angels were revealing to him were not consistent with Scripture. But he so hungered for that experience, and his people so hungered to hear the latest word from God, that it never entered his mind to compare what he was getting from the quote, these angels, and what God's word said. And he led that church step by step into error and false doctrine. One day, one of the leaders of his church came into his office and confronted him. And he immediately dropped dead on the spot. That was a shot across my bow. How serious it is to be a teacher of the Word of God and to be careful that we do not lead people into error because God holds us accountable and He tells us that in Scripture. And uh, quite frankly, that scared me to death. This hollow and deceptive philosophy was deceptive because it changed the revealed truth about Jesus. It was deceptive because it was based on human principles or reasoning rather than on Christ. It was hollow because it robbed Jesus of his rightful place. What is his rightful place? He is what? King of kings and Lord of lords. Crown him Lord of what? All. In Colossians chapter 1, verses 13 through 20, as Robin preached this, for he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves. In other words, we've been brought from the dominion of Satan into the dominion of Jesus, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Speaking of Jesus, he is the image of the what? Invisible God. The firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created. Things in heaven and on earth. Visible and invisible. Whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. This has to do with different ranks of angels, by the way. That's what that means. All things were created by him and for him, and he is before all things. 
And in him all things hold together, and he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace. How? Through his blood shed on the cross. In chapter 2, verse 8, the New Living Translation says this, Don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophies and high-sounding nonsense that come from human thinking and from the spiritual powers of this world rather than from Christ. Don't be taken captive. Do keep your Christology, your doctrine of Christ, straight. We find that in verses 9 and 10, and I'm going to say more about that next week. I'm just going to focus on verses 9 and 10 next Sunday. But he says this, For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form, and you have been given fullness in Christ, who is the head over every power and authority. In Christ all the fullness of God lives in the human body. And we looked at that in verses 15 through 20 of chapter 1. Hebrews 1.3 says it this way, The Son, meaning Jesus, is the radiance of God's glory, and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. And after he provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. Jesus is the radiance of what? God's glory. He's the exact representation of what? God. And he sustains all things by his powerful word. In Christ, all the fullness of God lives in a human body. And he says, you are complete in him. You have been given fullness in Christ, as some translations translate it. In other words, folks, you don't need to add a bunch of stuff to Jesus. One of our big problems as Christians is we get our eyes off of Jesus, we get our eyes on stuff. And it might be the stuff of this world. It might be some of the less important, if you will, things. I hate to say it even that way, that Scripture teaches. But God calls us to make the main thing the main thing, and the main thing is Jesus. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, keep your eye on him. Who he is, why he came, what he's accomplished for us. And you don't need to add a bunch of stuff to him. And then we're told he has authority over everything. Everything. He has authority over every 
one. What is the major difference between a Christian and a non-Christian? A non-Christian lives his life under his own authority. A Christian lives his life under the authority of Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. That's what it means when we talk about the Lord Jesus Christ. He's in charge. I'm not. Do keep your Christology straight, and we're going to help you do that a little bit more next Sunday. Five, do be honest with yourself. Ask yourself, am I continuing to grow in my understanding of and faith in Jesus Christ? Why is that important? Because when you stop growing, you become indifferent you become inactive, and you become vulnerable. In Second Peter chapter 3, verse 17 and 18, Peter wrote and said this, Therefore, dear friends, since you already know this, be on your guard so that you may not be carried away by the error of lawless men and fall from your secure position. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. Those were Peter's closing words. Those are the last words that God gave to the church through the Apostle Peter. Be on your guard. Don't be carried away by the error of lawless men. Instead, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. What is the antidote to being deceived? What is the antidote that Paul gives, Peter gives us, and Paul gives us, for keeping from falling into error? It's to keep on growing in our relationship with Jesus Christ. Well, how do you measure that? How do you measure your growth? Well, it's a measure of your faith in him. Your ability to trust him as opposed to what you may, quote, know. About him. Those two things, by the way, are related. And one is not necessarily exclusive of the other. But the question for me, after all these years of being a Christian, is not, Brad, have you learned more stuff? It's, are you, is it easier for you to trust the Lord than it was 20 years ago? Are you trusting him more than you did 20 years ago? Today there is present-day error and heresy in the church. These things are being taught by popular teachers and preachers. Some of them are on TV. Some of them are on radio. Some of them have huge congregations. People flock to hear them because they like what they hear. 
some of these people major on what I call name it and claim it Christianity. One of the problems of the word of faith movement is the idea that if I just believe it strongly enough, God is obligated to give it to me. For some, it's achieving greater knowledge of God through some experience. For others, it's the emphasis on the fact that God wants me to be a happy, wealthy Christian. Now, there's nothing wrong with being happy. There's nothing wrong with being wealthy. But the problem is this, is when pastors and teachers focus on one thing, primarily, and neglect the whole and balanced truth from God, error will always follow. Error comes up whenever we neglect certain things. You neglect certain things long enough in terms of your teaching in a balanced way, error will eventually develop. And that's what happens. Because a lot of these Popular teachers and preachers, all they have is one bullet in their gun. And every Sunday they shoot the same bullet. They just use different terminology. They just couch it differently, but it's the same thing. And normally it has to do with wealth and prosperity. And God wants you happy above all. Now, I want to be happy, don't you? But sometimes it's not God's will that we be happy. Sometimes it's God's will that we be holy. In fact, it's always God's will that we be holy. And sometimes the only way that holiness is developed is through hardship in our lives. And so God allows the hardship so that we might become holy. And we need to remember that. If there was ever a guy who we would say deserved all of God's blessing and developed deserved prosperity in his life would be the Apostle Paul. We're told that Paul prayed three times that God would take his thorn in the flesh, which is what he called it, away. And the Lord said, no. He said, my grace is sufficient for you. For my strength is made perfect in your weakness. So Paul says, therefore, I will all the more gladly rejoice in my suffering, so that the power of Christ may dwell on me or in me. It's not always God's will that we experience prosperity. Paul warned the church in 2 Timothy 4.3, he says this, For a time will come when people will no longer listen to right teaching. They will follow their own desires and look for teachers who will tell them what they want to hear. They will reject the truth and follow strange myths. That's the day and age in which we now live. The time has come. 
I want to challenge you to keep what God has revealed about Jesus as the center of your life. If you do, you won't need to add man-made philosophy and ideas that will lead you astray. Am I continuing to grow in my understanding of and faith in Jesus Christ? Are you living by faith in him? Galatians 2.20, what was our verse? I have been crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me in the life that I now live in the flesh, in the body. I live how? By faith. By faith in what? In who? By faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Is my life rooted in Christ? Or have I become a spiritual tumbleweed? Somebody needs to paint you pink. Just kidding. Don't be a spiritual tumbleweed. Don't be blown here and there by the latest good-sounding thing. The latest good-sounding thing that you need to add to Jesus to be complete. Grow in grace and in the knowledge of your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Grow in your love for him. And you will experience the fullness that Paul was talking about in this passage, and we will hear more about next Sunday. God, help us as we consider these truths to realize that we are capable of being led astray. And, Lord, sometimes it's well-meaning stuff. Sometimes it's, we just, Lord, we, we have a hunger uh, in us to know more or maybe to experience more. And that hunger may come out of just our own sense of inadequacy, our own sense of, of just needs that have been established as we've grown up and our families of origin. But Lord, help us to understand that Jesus is all we need. And we don't need to add more to him in our lives any more than we would take a baby back to a doctor and add, ask the doctor to add a nose or ears. We are complete. We are complete in him. Help us to rejoice in all that that means. Help us, Lord, to rejoice and be thankful for what you've done for us through him. And I ask this in Christ's name. Amen.